In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB, and we've got a huge show for you as we come into the last week of the regular season. There are Argos nominees for CFL awards that we want to talk about. We want to give you the skinny on last week's Missed Punt and Rouge. We've got some more information than we did when we last went to air. We're going to talk about this week's game, which doesn't matter at all to either team, except it does matter to both organizations, and we'll kind of get into why that is. We'll look at the quarterback situation, plus we're going to talk about specific players we're interested in watching, three on offense, three on defense, plus we'll get to our one thing, predictions, fantasy advice, and our CFL picks. All that more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Okay, JB, we've got we've got uh, award nominees for the Argos. It is that time of year. It snuck up on us. Maybe maybe it didn't sneak uh, up on us. It has felt like a long season, but yeah, the the award winners. I wanted to see what you thought about some of these. Why don't we go through these one by one? So first off, most outstanding player, same guy that it was last year for the nomination. That's McLeod Bethel Thompson. Amazing season, right? 4,731 yards passing, uh, way ahead of, of anybody else at the end of the day. Now he was able to stay healthy this season. I think that's uh, got a lot to do with it. But it's still a tremendous season, even without that, uh, to be that close to 5,000 yards. Like you said a few weeks ago, you don't just fall into that. And to also have 23 touchdown passes, just a a wonderful season from him. And he led the league in in passing plays of 30 yards or more, which was something that he was knocked a lot for last year. So um, absolutely would be um, it would, would be my vote for most outstanding Argo. Uh, where are you on this one? Yeah, I think you know it's it's terrific. He he definitely has been their most outstanding. There's there's probably very little chance that he will be the Eastern nominee. I think I don't, I don't, there just seems to be an anti McLeod dynamic out there, but uh, he is definitely the MVP of the Argos. There's no doubt. He, when he plays well, the team wins and more often than not he has, and he led them to an 11 possibly, you know, maybe if he plays, but probably not, but certainly an 11 win uh, season that, that has to be recognized. Yeah, absolutely. And I've said this many times on the podcast, but it still blows my mind. I I can't get over how well he did at protecting the ball in the red zone. You look at the growth of a quarterback since he came into the league and the things that he really was not good at in his first couple of seasons. And one was turning the ball over when, when he got into the red zone. That was something that uh, really hurt his game a lot and he made a concerted effort to fix that problem and here he is now in 2022 it's inside the 25 14 touchdowns one interception it's it's unbelievable numbers and that you, you there's a lot of other numbers that go into quarterback and there's a lot of other things that they go into evaluating a quarterback but you look at the things that he has been critiqued for in the past and he has made an obvious effort to to fix those even his uh, time to release in the football, uh, he was criticized heavily in 2019. He took so many sacks where he seemed to wait forever and ever and ever and was trying to figure out what was going on downfield and then would take a sack or, or throw a late pick. Um, and that's improved a lot as well. There are still times where he sits in the pocket for too long, I think, but not nearly as many occasions as we saw in years past. So, yeah, hugely improved his best season as a professional football player. So, yeah, I, I love that. I love that selection. So uh, that yeah, that would be my vote as well. For most outstanding lineman, this was a, a tough one for me. So the winner is Dejon Allen, and I think it's very deserving. Allen, uh, it's his second year with the, with the Argos. He played mostly at left tackle last year, switched over to right tackle this year. Uh, he has been battling injuries really all season long. And he's played great football. It's not the side he's most comfortable on. He's clearly laboring out there at times and yet was able to keep McLeod Bethel-Thompson clean far more times than not. Yeah, he, he's he been terrific. And, and, and like you say, it, it could it, Blake could have been the nominee. Um, but 
to to struggle through and to basically play on one leg when if he had gone down I, I don't know what they would have done you know it would have been it would have been bad you know it could have sunk the season to be honest had he gone down and and just shut it down um it it could have made the whole thing kind of implode so uh in in many ways he's the kind of the mvp of the season so i like this nod for him yeah, and you it could be it could be Blake like you said it could be Bladeck as well like both of those guys. But I think Bladeck to me was I, I think I at the end of the season I had him graded as the as the best blocker on on the Toronto offensive line. But it's there is a difference between guard and tackle and there's there's sort of a I, I guess a, a bit of bias towards tackle play because it is like for it is I, I believe it is a more important position your tackles are really out there on their own and it's it's far more difficult to hide at all on the inside and that's why you don't that's why you don't see rookies typically playing a lot of tackle that's why they play them inside a guard a lot um, but Blake who was able to move all over the place a natural guard who's also played center and this year he played most of the season at left tackle and played very well at left tackle that had to be considered Bladek grading so well uh, for many games was was the best offensive lineman on the team and so all three of those guys but like you said, to overcome those injuries and to know that he's not playing 100% healthy and still look better than most of the linemen in the league is is pretty amazing. Because there were times this year, I remember at that at that BC game, when he went down with that knee injury at the BC game, I thought for sure that was it. That was going to be the end of the season. And then he was back the next week. And then it happened again against Saskatchewan. I'm like, oh man, well... I guess that's it. At least he tried for a few more weeks and it, he's right back again. Uh, I think that one took him a, an extra week to come back from. But yeah, he is the most durable player on the Toronto Argonauts. The level of toughness between between Dejon Allen and McLeod Bethel-Thompson is is through the roof. So yeah, really nice uh, pick for for both of those guys. And while I, while I think we could have gone another direction, I have no problem at all with, with Dejon Allen being named uh, most outstanding offensive lineman. Most outstanding Canadian was an easy one for me, and I wasn't surprised at all by this. Curly Gittins Jr. I, I think I think Curly. I think it's almost underselling him in, in some ways. I I feel like he was Toronto's best receiver this year, and I don't think it's really something you can debate. Uh, like I I don't I, I find often the most outstanding Canadian award sometimes it sometimes there feels like there's a bit of tokenism to it. It's like, well, you're not good enough to compete in this category because you're Canadian, so we'll have a separate category for you. It does feel like that sometimes. And sometimes it, it has been like that. There have been years where it is sort of like that, but not at all with Curly Gittins Jr. He's an outstanding football player, and man, he put up some great numbers this year. 81 catches, 1,100 uh, yards. Uh, you know, it's it was a pretty... Um, Pretty impressive uh, campaign uh, that he had this year. So I love that pick. Yeah, he's, he had three or four games where he was absolutely a star. Um, the Ottawa games obviously come to mind in last week. Um, in some weeks, he, he he was not the the number one target. And in those weeks, so it's not like in the weeks where he wasn't a star, he had a bunch of drops. He just wasn't targeted, you know, for, for, for a variety of reasons. But uh, when he was needed... Yeah, he's been the most consistent um, receiver and well deserving of that. Yeah, he he you know he he really could be developing into um, a star if he can get more consistent targets. You know, I think in some ways in the off season they should really look to to find a way to to make him a more central part of the game plan. And I think part of it is that he moved around quite a bit. Remember last year, he played pretty much exclusively at Z and he was learning a new position this year because they had him on the inside. And because there were so many receivers injured this year, he did have to move around quite a bit, not just in the position he started in, but it moved around within formations. They, he was he had a lot of additional responsibilities. He was running jet sweeps and things like that that he hadn't done before uh, as a pro. And so I think that came with a bit of adjustment too. But you look down the stretch, whenever Bethel Thompson needed a play, he wasn't looking past Gittins Jr. That was his guy. In big moments when there absolutely needed to be a catch, 
McLeod would look to to Gittins Jr. Well, you, and you, for good reason. You look at you know uh, Tim White and Eugene Lewis, who are both and you know uh, outstanding player nominees for their teams. You know Curley's right there in in terms of statistics. They, I mean, theirs are better, but not by much. And you know they were nominated for best for outstanding players. So I think that that gives you a sense of of you know statistically he's he's right there in the top five in the league. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, we'll get to this at the end, but I I think he's got to be he's got to be in the picture just in terms of league-wide recognition. So, that's one that that I would certainly put forward. Uh, I mean, if he has a few more touchdowns, he he could be in the conversation for most outstanding. That's the one category that is hurting him a little bit. Yeah. I think he ended up with five touchdowns this season. He's, he's definitely not the he's not their 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 target for sure. Like they they're looking uh, Tavares, they're looking ambles. Uh, they're, they're, he, he just doesn't seem to be a red zone, part of the red zone plan. Yeah, most of his touchdowns were longer plays that he sort of extended into touchdowns. You remember the one where he literally extended having to reach out in Ottawa. There was last week in Montreal where it was just kind of a, a strange play on the post dig and he, he back-shouldered it and worked his way into the end zone. That's how he scored his touchdowns. But yeah, Coach Dinwiddie's offense down close to the goal line really didn't feature him. It was those quick outs to Ambles that, that everyone loved. It was... It was, you know, Deveris matched up one-on-one, back shoulder and stuff like that. He leads the lead in uh, yards after catch. Yeah, and there are a you few know? memorable ones. You remember that, his another of his touchdowns, you remember the one in Saskatchewan that uh, was huge for yardage. Like that that play alone, he probably had 70 yards after the catch. So, yeah, there's a few uh, a few long long runs that uh, that Curly Gittins Jr. had this year. So yeah, I'm excited to see him continue to grow as a player. He's he's gotten significantly better every single year, and well, so he's an amazing bargain. You look, I mean, he, he's a top five receiver in the league. You know, you look yeah. at Kenny Lawler and some of the money. Like he is an incredible uh, an incredible bargain for the for the franchise. Well, don't think Curly Gittins Jr. isn't going to get up there soon, though. Because oh, yeah. Because he's also a ratio breaker, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, he's he's the full... Yeah, he he has big money coming his way, I think. It, it won't... I don't think it'll quite be that big because he isn't that kind of... At least in terms of how people view him. I don't know if they view him as an outside the, you know, the numbers game breaker guy. Um, so I don't know if somebody's going to blow the doors off for him, but he's going to get himself a nice a nice contract, I think. For most outstanding defensive player, this one was unanimous, uh, and it's Winter McManus. I think we both would have gone that way too. Is there? Well, let's first talk about Winter McManus, and then we'll talk about if there were any other possibilities on the team. Uh, yeah, what a season! I think the only thing that hurts his chances in terms of winning the, the league honors is that his season uh, came to a stop prematurely. Uh, week 17, he was injured in Calgary. And so it, with only 14 games played, that may hurt his his chances in the vote, but he's still right up there in the league league and tackles. And at the time that he was injured, he was leading the league in tackles, I believe. Um, 88 defensive tackles, seven special teams tackles, three sacks, a forced fumble, two picks, and a couple really important picks. You remember the game that you were at uh, in in Wolfville, the the touchdown that that won the game for the Argos. Amazing. Yeah, that was such a great game. It was too too bad you weren't there. It was that was that was definitely a highlight of the season. Yeah, I got to go instead to the forty-four to three Vancouver game and twenty-nine to two Calgary games. Yeah, they were they were both. Uh, those are also two two classics to put on the wall. So, is McManus the only possible choice for Toronto? Was there any other direction that, uh, that well, we could have gone? I mean, probably you can look at Moamba there. Um, Peters obviously has the pick numbers. I, I wouldn't necessarily say he was that level of dominating as opposed to really those numbers just kind of pop for him. Um, yeah, you you probably would have been safe having Moamba. He was, you know, he's right there in tackles. He's making plays. He's making the calls. He's he's a team leader on the field. Um, I, I would have been fine with Moamba if, if, if McManus um, hadn't done it. But I think McManus is the choice. And I, I think he is the Eastern um, defensive player. 
uh, in my opinion. Even you know if if Rourke can can have a shot at it with only nine or ten games, uh, I think McManus should have the same deal in terms of defensive. I think he's still the Eastern defensive. I don't think he takes the league, but I think he's the Eastern choice. That'd be my choice. Yeah, I don't even know if there's anyone I would take over him in the West. I like I, I think really? Well, the reason I say that is because the couple of guys that I thought I might take over him weren't even nominated from their own teams. So like uh Lemon is the defensive player coming out of Calgary and that surprised me because I, I think Thank I, I, I mean Sankey and Jefferson are both really good. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I you know like they're right there. I mean, the fact that McManus is right there, I think, is amazing. Uh, but those two guys are both game-changing guys. I mean, you would you would you know kill to have either of those guys on your team. I think to get back to the Mwamba thing, when I look at that, because I I was very enamored with the Calgary defense. I know we've talked about how they know Toronto's playbook inside and out, and that did skew things. But watching them live, I I was I was blown away by how good they were. And I think a lot of it to me, when I was watching their defense, a lot of it was Jameer Thurman. And I know that Cam Judge got a ton of credit. He had an outstanding season. There's no question. Lemon as well had an amazing season. Again, no question. I think Jameer Thurman is one of those guys that was able to make it all happen. And he, his reliability in the middle was what opened up opportunities for these other guys and I see that a little bit with Mwamba and not to take anything away from McManus because I'm not at all trying to do that but Enoch Mwamba allows everyone else around him to uh, give a little bit more space basically because he you don't have to cover for him at all he's covering for you and so it means that you can it means you can cheat a little bit it means you can back out a little earlier on your read steps it means you can come in more aggressively on what might be play action it, because he's got you covered if if things fail. Uh, it allows DBs to play a, a little bit deeper because he's got that mid-range shutdown. Like we, we never saw teams try and pass at all over the middle. How much easier does that make a Sam linebacker's job when you don't have to worry about passes over over short middle in that underneath hole because Mwamba has scared everyone away. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's amazing. something that I would say if you're going to go another direction, you look at, at Enoch. Most outstanding special teams player, man, the Argos have, what's so funny too is that we spent a lot of time criticizing the Argos special teams units, but <laughs> just, with just that in mind, return. I know, well, they had so many good special teams players on a unit that we spent a lot of time berating. So it's just such a strange thing because there were a few guys that could have been nominated. Daniel Adebaboye, uh, Toronto's uh, third pick, second round pick. Um, he was the the second second round pick in the in the draft this season. Uh, is a, an obvious winner in this year's draft. He's he's going to be a player even if he did nothing more than continue to do what he did this year. That's still a good pick, but he's going to continue to grow and he's going to be a back and he's going to get carries. But he was a beast on special teams and it wasn't an area that I was expecting to see him really contribute. I knew he'd be playing special teams. Naturally, that's what you're going to do when you're a backup running back and you're going to be dressing. But I wasn't thinking of him as being a contributor on specials because like you said, when we were talking before, like he's a running back and you don't necessarily expect him to be first guy down the field making tackles. And yet there he was time and time again, first guy down the field making tackles. And Yeah, he's been terrific in, you know, from a coach perspective, you love to see that kind of buy-in from an offensive player to come onto special teams and, and and ball with the defenders. You love that kind of toughness. He absolutely has been, um, you know, like I wouldn't, I don't know if I go so far as a star, but he's been very solid. And for an offensive running back to be that good and have that level of buy-in, I think that kind of pushes him over the top and like you say he, he you know he also is a personal protector uh along with the uh the chase down tackles um you know i i i, I, w- I might have taken a look at kasar there as well uh on special teams especially like second half he really kind of rose to the top but uh it's a great pick for him to be the special teams nominee um the <laughs> you see chandler worthy from montreal and that's a bit irritating um and Ottawa, Ottawa nominated a long snapper. 
um, which reminded me of years where I coached and the award pool at the banquet was a little thin. Yeah, it happens sometimes. <laughs> but to your <laughs> point on, on... You can't nominate a long snapper, Ottawa. Have, you know, come on. Come on. Have some, have some pride. That's what I would say to you, Red Blacks. I, I, I applaud it. Uh, it's an important position on the team. It always gets overlooked. Like, you think offensive linemen get overlooked. Long snappers get overlooked more than anybody. I know, but come on. Come it's on. so important. As a Bengals fan, I promise you, long snappers are extremely important. The Bengals lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers because they lost their long snapper near the end of the game. And that was that was the reason. You need long snappers. If you've got a great sure one... Do. Yeah, and and the Argos have been lucky with that. So with uh, with Max we, Latour, we need people to bring water on the field too. I mean, maybe you should nominate that. It's not the same thing. He's comparing what Jake Reinhardt and Max Latour do <laughs> not to discussing Jake Reinhardt. Anyhow, all right. Yes, um, congratulations to him and his family. I'm sure they're all very proud. And back to Toronto for a second, if we can stop talking about Ottawa's long snapper. Uh, so, yeah, like we talked about with Adebaboye, you mentioned Kassar. Uh, Kassar was a bazooka on special teams, and it was the the sensation of some of those plays. I love what Kassar brought to special teams because he brought fear. He brings second guessing to the returner because the, the returner knows. they like He's seen the film. He knows Kassar is running full speed from the word go. And if he doesn't pick that, pick that white and blue blur up, then he's going to get leveled. And that's something that, that you love to have on your coverage teams. And I think you mentioned Haggerty in there as well. Haggerty, I think, has, has been great on that unit. Uh, Enoch Penilaya, another draft pick from this year, a great special teams player. There's there's some really good special teams players that could have been nominated. I think Adeboboy is probably the right pick uh, for this for this award. Hoyt, too. Hoyt's but, been good. Oh, yeah, Hoyt as well. Yeah, but, and he's I think also that speaks a guy. To, I think it speaks to their coverability that... Obviously, we pay closer attention than 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 most, or or probably should. Uh, but uh, you know, the fact that those names come up just shows that these are people who are flashing on on every play. Now, the next step is the Argos need to get some more guys who can block on returns, and that will make us fully happy for next season. Or load up on long snappers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, the last award we got to get to is most outstanding rookie, Gregor McKellar. Uh, this. This makes total sense. First round draft pick who, I again, going back to draft day, I felt McKellar, I thought that was a reach. I I had Adeboboye, I had Knight, who both ended up as Argos later on. But there were a lot of linemen that I had in front of Gregor McKellar and a lot of linemen who really didn't end up, a lot of those guys didn't even end up playing this year or barely played at all. And McKellar not only played, he started and was a really solid starter. And the only reason he's not still starting is because they brought in an NFL caliber guy to take his place. And even then it wasn't immediate. So Gregor McKellar did almost as much as what we saw from Peter Nicastro last year, which was amazing. And Toronto fans have been so spoiled these last two years because it doesn't normally work like that. Look at the guys that were taken on other teams, the offensive linemen that were taken and other teams in the first and second rounds of the last few drafts and see where they are on other teams. Most of them are not doing what Nicastro did last year, what McKellar did this year. It's pretty unheard of. So yeah, that, that was just a no-brainer. I mean, we talked about it in the spring that, you know, the last three years of drafting have been fantastic. I mean, you know, look, I, we're not homers. <laughs> At least I don't don't think we are. Um, I think we are sometimes, but I don't think we're being well, that on are, this. But Okay. Uh, you look, I mean, they have been, look, you look at the tw- 2022 class. Most of that class is is dressing on game day. That is not how it works in the CFL. Like you can go back and look at the last five years of drafts and look at how many of those guys are dressing on game day for other teams. And, you know, the numbers are thin. The draft is definitely not traditionally how you build your team in the CFL. You're more, you know, you're more looking for American free agents, to be honest. And uh, Toronto has absolutely crushed the draft the last couple of years. Yeah, just I'm just revisiting it now. Like you got Gregor McKellar, who we just talked about. Deontay Knight, who we haven't seen a lot this year, but he's building into something. I promise you he's building into something. Uh, he will 
he will be a guy that is ready to go next year. Daniel Adebaboye, we've talked about. Enoch Penny Laye, who has been another guy that's been an amazing special teams contributor. You just love his speed and size combo. Uh, and, you know, he might turn into an every down player at some point. And then Eric Sutton is another guy that we're, I'm sure, excited to see this week because uh, he's showed all sorts of potential. And once you get him in a spot that he's comfortable in, I, I think that for a sixth round pick, we're talking about an Eric Sutton, tremendous value. There's so many hits on this. And not to mention, like, obviously, we haven't given up on the other guys, Braden Knoll, who we, we, you know, we see at practice every time we go and, and he's developing and he's getting bigger and getting stronger. And, you know, he'll be a contributor yeah, at some I, point, too. I think too. the fact that uh, McKellar, we, and we've talked about this, the fact that McKellar was able to impress his offensive line coach enough to to put him out there because I I I mean I I certainly haven't talked to coach but I can only assume that offensive line coaches are not keen to start rookies and he he basically pushed his way into the field and and held his own you know of course there were ups and downs but the fact that he was able to hold his own uh, suggests that he he's 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 going to be really good, hopefully. I mean, sometimes sometimes football development doesn't go progress exactly the way you hope, but right now he he can potentially be a you know seven eight year starter for the for the Argos if he continues to progress. And I think we think Gittins Jr. and McManus have the best shots of uh, you know winning winning league awards or. Uh, at least being recognized by the East, because I think that I think those guys are are clearly they stand out uh, among the rest of the, the rest of the players in the East, and uh, I think even are worth mentioning in the West as well. So I think that's what we would expect going forward. Yeah. Let's get to that missed punt, mm-hmm. uh, the the missed punt, uh, or the safety, or the phantom challenge. So when we last left you. Post game after the big East clinching win in Montreal, there were two plays that we didn't have all the details on. And we'll start with the miss punt. So, what we're referring to is the safety that Toronto was awarded uh, to go up 16 6. And what actually happened has become clear uh, only just recently. So, I guess what happened is so the reason I didn't even know. The only reason I thought something was strange about this at all is that I didn't see how a challenge from Coach Dinwiddie could possibly have resulted in this play being a sack. And if you look still at this moment, as we sit here recording this on the CFL website under the game log, it shows that play as being initially ruled an incomplete pass, a coach's challenge, and then it being changed to a sack safety. And I just thought that was weird because I didn't see any possible way you could review that and decide that it was a sack because clearly he threw the ball prior to being brought down. And if anyone had reviewed that, they would have seen that right away. So that's why we brought it up as a strange thing. What actually happened, and I know this from a number of people who were at the game in Montreal Uh, DMing me to tell me that, no, they were there watching the game and that's not what happened. What actually happened was there was another play and they didn't realize till they got home and looked at the game on on their PVRs and saw that the TSM broadcast didn't cover that lost play. And so what actually happened was Montreal's punt team came out there. It was ruled an incomplete pass. Montreal's punt team ran out there, snapped the ball, and the punter took a knee in the end zone for the safety and that's where the safety came from it was not from a, a challenge or, or anything like that but it, it's just so strange to me I don't remember anything like that happening before where we miss not only miss a play sometimes TV broadcast miss plays that does happen but then the commentators are able to bring you up to speed and explain what the TV wasn't able to see or maybe it's during a commercial break and they don't come back on time and so you know while you were away this happened But there was no explanation from officials. There was no explanation from the broadcast. And I don't blame the broadcast crew for this because they were just as much in the dark as as anybody because there there wasn't really an explanation going on from from anyone. And so they're looking, they're asking questions, and they also missed what was happening on the field in search of answers. So it's just such a weird play. So I felt like we needed to clarify that because there have been all sorts of questions about that play and that call on social media. Yeah, I mean, my conspiracy about Central calling it in, I guess we'll have to 
go back onto the shelf. Um, but my point about the referees needing to call in the grass much faster it still stands is if you don't want quarterback slammed to the ground, then when they've got their arms around a quarterback, you can't let him just throw the ball away and now it's not a sack because that's why they're body driving them into the ground. So pick pick a lane, ref. The other play that we need to talk about briefly was the rouge that ended the game. And the reason we need to talk about this is that the camera angle was sort of an odd one. It's the camera angle you would usually show for that punt return. But the problem is the way that the way that the stadium, Percival Molson, the way that it's set up, there's not a lot of space in there for the end zone camera. And they can't quite get down to the angle to see the back line easily. And so when Boris Beattie missed that field goal, the camera saw that it missed to the returner's left. And we saw Worthy go back to return it, but we couldn't see Worthy's feet. He was sort of cut off at, at the waist. And it appeared from that angle that he caught the ball and then just stopped running because the play was blown dead. Now, we were able to explain what had actually happened in that because we knew what must have occurred, but we couldn't actually see it. And there is another angle. I retweeted uh, someone had sent me the a link to a fan recording the, that play from inside the stadium. And I really appreciate that being sent along so that we can all see it. And I retweeted that. If you wanted to go take a look at that, you can see the entire play. You can see Chandler Worthy step out the back of the end zone, only just, he steps out by about a foot and he, he has to, his momentum carries him out of bounds as he's, as he's fielding that, that missed field goal. And he does everything he can just to, just to try and grab that ball. And the, immediately the referee spots it, puts his hand up in the air to signal Rouge. And there was a penalty on the play to further confuse everybody, but that ultimately didn't matter, as we talked about in the postgame podcast. No, so, it, was, it was, yeah, that that was not well, that was not well delivered as well, because even the commentator was like, well, why did he stop running? And I was like, yeah, why did he stop running? And then is that an automatic rouge? What's happening here? Yeah, it was not, they didn't crush the end of the game. No, it's just, and again, some of it's restrictions, some of it's just bad timing and bad luck. But uh, yeah, those are the answers to the questions you've been asking all week about the rouge, about the missed punt. All right, JB, let's get to the game. So here we are with uh, another, another Edmonton from 2021, but a little different this time. Uh, that, that game last year was such a mess for so many reasons. It got moved. It was supposed to be early in the season because of a COVID outbreak at Edmonton. Everything got shuffled around. The Elks were playing three games in the space of like three days. It was it was such a short turnaround. Obviously, I'm exaggerating, but not by much. And nobody on either team was starting anybody. The Elks were just begging for their season to be finished. And it was a terrible, terrible football game. Now, when I went back to look at the depth charts from those games, I was interested in seeing who may be Sean, because... There are going to be a lot of backups in this week. Maybe not as many as there were last year for the Edmonton game, and I'll get into that in a minute. But looking at this, there aren't a ton of players that are actually still on the roster when you look through this depth chart. Like you look up and down, like for receivers, you've got Huff and Jean-Pierre. You've got Lavoie as the fullback. You've got Jones out there at receiver. And Cam Scarlett at running back, of course. Martez Ivy, Coleman, our, our lineman, Zamora out there at center. There, there's a lot of guys that aren't on the team anymore. But this was an important evaluation period for Toronto. A lot of these guys aren't on the team because they were being evaluated that day. And they got a really close look at, at Pipkin as well and decided not to bring him back. And he ended up in BC. But there were a couple guys that did stand out for positive reasons. And that's kind of what I want to see in this week's game. So Cam Phillips, who really didn't get in much at all last season, he played in this game. And while he only had two catches, he was wide open a number of times. He had six targets. Quarterbacks just weren't able to get on the ball. But he did stand out as somebody where you're like, huh, let's take another look at that guy next year. And you see what... He's turned into this year. He's been a really valuable member of this team this year. And then on defense, this was sort of a a, a bit of a, a coming up party for uh, Hendricks, who showed what uh, what he could do in that game. Uh, also, really nice performances from some of the the Canadians like Smith and Achimpong. But yeah, Hendricks um, was certainly noticed on this day where there wasn't a lot to notice. 
And coming into this game against Montreal, that's what we're looking for. And I think most of the questions start with quarterback because that's where the evaluation of Cole McDonald and Antonio Pipkin uh, really were, were held last year. So what do we expect? What are you expecting we'll see from from Chad Kelly? And I, and I guess we're going to see Ben Holmes as well. I expect him to come in kind of like what they did last year. Pipkin played like three quarters last year. Cole McDonald came in for the fourth. I think we're going to see Chad Kelly for about three quarters, Cole McDonald for the fourth, something like that. What are you looking for, JB, when we, when we watch this game? <laughs> Um, I hope it's vaguely entertaining. Um, a lot of times these kind of games where guys who have not had a ton of reps and, and sometimes have not had a ton of reps with each other, things can look pretty grim out there. So you don't really get a lot of, you know, there's a lot of false starts and, um, yeah, so that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping there's able to be a little bit of flow to the game. Um, Kelly probably throws two touchdowns and three picks. Um, so I think he'll be, it'll be interesting to see, uh, how good Kelly is at picking up the extra player, which is the hardest thing for quarterbacks coming up, um, to, you know, to not, to pick up that, that, uh, blindside safety coming over. So I'm I'm curious to see. I know I don't need him to throw a lot, but I'm curious to see how efficient he is in terms of moving the ball down the field. Not, I mean, I know he can throw the ball a football field. Um, I'd I'd love to see a high percentage for him, kind of matriculate down the field like a like a pro instead of uh, going full batting cage. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important thing. I, I want to see accuracy. I want to see smart decision making. I don't care if we see those bombs. We know he can do that. I, I don't, I'm not that interested in that. You can't solely do that. Like Pipkin was great at that too. Pipkin was, had a, a really nice deep arm, but you can't, you can't just do that as a quarterback. You've got to make those decisions. Yeah. You've got to make those smart reads. You've got to be able to throw a, underneath and take what the defense gives right. you. Right. I want to see eyes downfield. Um, it's kind of a tricky balance because you want to take what they give you. So take the check down, but I want to see eyes downfield too. Don't just become captain check down. Um, look to push the ball down the field, 10 yards, 12 yards. I I'm hoping to see that. I'm hoping to see, uh, you know, receptions in the 10 to 15 yard range, which are the hardest. So, so that'll be the biggest test for him. Um, yeah, you'd like to see a couple of guys flash. And uh, you want everybody to get out healthy. That's that's really what I'm hoping for. Is is everybody is feeling good? For me, the one thing I want to see from Chad Kelly is not scrambling too soon, because we know he can run. He's a great runner. He's shown that this season, and that's I don't want to take that away. I think that's a big part of his game. I think that's what made him such an amazing quarterback at Ole Miss was, you know, that's why he set records because he was, he was dual threat. He used his legs really effectively. He uh, threw the ball uh, out of the stadium, but I don't want to see what you see from so many young quarterbacks with good wheels is that they wait for one second and then run. First read's not there, go. I actually want to see him process. And because I think I think it'll cheat us a little bit in the evaluation if we don't get to see him actually make second and third reads, not just taking one read and then taking off. So I'm, I'm not not that I'm saying there shouldn't be rushing yards. There should be, there will be, but uh, after more than just one read isn't there. That's what I'm I'm looking for from him. And for Ben Holmes, this is it's really tough on him. Like Ben Holmes, during a normal practice, doesn't doesn't really get any reps at all. He's he's actually getting reps this week behind Chad Kelly, and that's great. That's going to help him a little bit. But in most practices, you know, he's doing the drills. He's running through everything else. He's obviously there for meetings, and and he's there in the in the huddle as they're as they're repping practices. But he's just really not getting much in terms of reps. It's if anything, it's scout team reps. But uh, for him, actually getting some meaningful work this week in practice and getting out there on the practice field. He's a really talented guy. I'm almost as excited about him as I am about Chad Kelly in terms of what their ceiling is. I think both both kids can be tremendous quarterbacks. And so when I say kids, like Chad Kelly's 28 years old now. He's not, I, I keep forgetting that he's not like a, a rookie rookie. But both of these guys can be, can be good quarterbacks. And I think both of them have a shot to be good CFL quarterbacks. And 
if Chad Kelly plays really well in this game, who knows what that means for next year? Not just for him, for for McLeod Bethel Thompson. Is this does he play well enough where Toronto's like, you know what, I think we have faith in this guy? Or does he play well enough where other teams are like, hey, we don't have a quarterback and we like how Chad Kelly was looking there. Maybe we will take a, a chance on that. Maybe we make you an offer, Toronto. So um, this this could have uh, a lot of meaning for him specifically, I think. All right, JB, you picked out three defensive players that you wanted to look at. I picked out three offensive players I was interested in in this game. So who are you trying to evaluate here? And again, it's tough because we don't know. This is before depth charts comes out. We don't even know who's going to dress who's not. And the reason it's so tough this year is that because of all the injuries they've had, they've got to be really tight against the salary cap. And that that prevents you from just being able to sit every veteran and bring up all the practice squad guys. You can't, you can't do that from a salary standpoint if you're right up against the cap. So I don't know how many... I don't know how many uh, rookies and practice squad players we're going to see, but assuming we get to see a lot of them, JB, who are you interested in seeing on defense? Uh, two, well, three Canadians, or, or, or national players at least. Um, two from this year's draft, and and then one from a couple years ago. Uh, I'd probably start with uh, Delonte Knight. Yeah, Delonte Knight has been uh, slowly, um, and slowly it's not fair to him, Throughout the season, uh, you know, he's had a bit of a learning curve because he came from a Western program where he was being moved all over the place. He was sometimes at nose. He was sometimes wide nine. And he was just such a, a just a, a physical beast of a man that he could do that at that level. And in the CFL, they're really trying to make him something more specific. And I, I guess like, you know, what, what, do you want, what do you want to see from him? If they get him out there on the field, what are you looking for specifically from Deontay Knight? Yeah, I mean, I think, Probably they're they're still trying to figure out, which we talked about at the draft. Is you know is he in the middle? Is he on the edge? Um, you you see him at practice. He's twitchy for sure. He's got quickness. He's got a great first step. Uh, I, I love to see a sack. I, I think he can be he can be somebody you can bring in in your obvious passing downs um, to to just go get him. You know, just bring him in um, and start him that way. Um, and uh, and let him go chase the quarterback. And I'd, I'd really like to see that. I'd love to see him get a sack. I think he, he's got the quickness and the hand fight speed and uh, um, I think can be uh, a, a real, you know, a, a great player for the team. But also I'm curious to see how, depending on where he plays, what, you know, how does the tweener stuff work you know for him against him can he can he hold his spot against the run can he you know can he not get washed out by an offensive lineman so uh, I'm hoping he gets a lot of reps I'd love to really take a look I know he's had a few kind of looks but you know you really get to see a lot if you get if you get full game starter reps you're going to have a lot of really good film on you know, are, are you able to hold your spot? Are you able to stack and shed? Are you getting washed out? Are you are you able to get past the quarterback? Um, all of that information would be really nice to see for a guy who's been working hard uh, on the practice field all season. I, I think this is a great showcase for him to to because he can potentially be a star. I mean, he, you know, he was drafted high. He has star DNA in him. Um, you know. That, I think that that is a ceiling. I think that's within him. I'd be curious to see how realistic that is. I'm really interested to see, and we're not going to get to it for a long time, but I'm interested to see what his weight is next season at the start of next right. year. Well, that'll be that the question, tell us, right? Where, where yeah. do they want him? Yeah, and it, like he's listed at 243. That was what he came in at, at the beginning of the year. I don't think he's 243 now. I think he's, I think he's put on some good weight. And so, you know, is that just my eyes? It's hard to tell. Like they're not, you know, in in practice, you're not uh, you're, you're not looking the same as you it, are for game it day. It does feel that way, right? It does feel like he is his future is probably in the middle. So that, I think so. That's gonna need you're gonna have to, you know. Well, and we'll see. I mean, that's the thing on the film. You'll see. Can he? How good is he at at, at anchoring and and stacking and shedding against those offensive linemen? Who's the next guy you want to take a good look at? Uh, next guy, uh, another guy whose dad played in the CFL. Weirdly, <laughs> these sort of Canadians whose dad played in the CFL, like Knight, and now uh, uh, another one, Eric Sutton. 
Um, he is very fast, and the defensive backfield is pretty deep. But uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hoping he can get out there and, uh, you know, traditionally he's been kind of like a nickelback, a sandbacker. Um, I'd love to to see him, you know, get out there and and give us a look at at, at what he can be. Same thing, like let's get some starter reps there because he he, you know, if you look at film. He, you know, he flies to the ball and, uh, you know, I think he can really, you know, can he be, say, number two on the depth chart next year for Sam? That's that's probably where I'm projecting him. And, and you'll be able to tell a lot from a game because you just you, don't, you never know till you see it in a game whether, you know, is this something or not. So that that's really what I think it'll be is, is this guy our backup Sam or, or are we still looking? He's such an interesting player because he can play everywhere. And the thing is, you look at like his height and weight and you're like, well, that's you, you got to get this guy out of the middle. He can't be in the middle. But that's not true. Did you look at the way he plays? Like this is what was said about him all throughout his football career. It was said about him in high school. It was said about him in, in university. And he kept proving everybody wrong. He can play anywhere. And so, yeah, I'm interested to see where he lines up. Yeah, uh, also right. Maybe they maybe the try him at corner. I, I don't I feel like I feel like the right spots for him are are Sam and safety. I feel like that is probably you know, and he's not at all a, a prototypical guy for either of those spots, no. but but he plays those those positions well. You you watch his film and the things he does well are what you want to see from your Sam and what you want to see from your safety. So, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see what he looks like, where they put him, what their their plans are. Yeah, for him. and there you know there there are. There's there's openings in safety as well, so this will really be yeah a test of can can he look not out of place? And who's uh, your third guy? So my last guy obviously feels like we're we're hammering on him a lot, but my third guy is Jack Kassar. Um He has been as we predicted a special teams force. It's been a, kind of a year later than we thought because of injuries, but. He's been a special teams force. Uh, I would love to see him get some middle linebacker reps for Moamba. Uh, that, that, that is that is a very difficult position to play. Um, so you know, I, I, it won't look perfect, but I'm just begging coach to fire off some blitzes with him as the middle backer. Uh, you know, coach, let's. I mean, I hope there's not some kind of code here where like we're playing twos and you're playing twos, and let's not sack each other. But uh, I would love to see some, you know, a couple of games with a defensive lineman because man, he can fire off a twist, <laughs> uh, and that's what really what I'm excited to see. I think he's, you know, he he's not like the other guys. He is a he is a major part of the football team right now. Um, and he will probably look a little out to sea as the middle backer, but it's still good reps for him. And I'm really just excited to see if we can get a blitz. Yeah, he's he's so slippery coming through gaps. He's just oh, really God. difficult to pick up. Oh, like for a big God. guy, and he just he just his 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 acceleration into contact is <laughs> elite. And yeah. I just man, if if their offensive lineman does not pick up that twist. That is going to be a problem for the quarterback. Yeah, and if you're looking for some references, uh, just check in with any Ottawa GG's quarterbacks um, <laughs> because they remember. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm really excited to see that. I, uh, I, you know, I I I think maybe he's moved ahead of Hoyt, but I even if he hasn't, I would still love to see him get get at least a half there, and and see you know see what that looks like. But my God, that is. You know, people have to understand, you know, like being a a surgeon while flying a plane. Um, yeah, it's it, not it's, an easy spot. There's a lot going on there. Like quarterback, it's just, <laughs> there's a reason that the guys who are really good have been playing football for 12 years at it. Because <laughs> it took that long to get good at it. It's not, it's not an easy position to just come in and play. Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of time for Kassara at middle backer. And I think probably Hoyt's going to play that that will backer. And then probably Penilaya gets in there at some point too. But uh, I think those guys will all get a ton of time. Moving over to the offensive side of the ball, uh, the guys I'm really interested in, number one is Theron Churchill. 
uh, he, uh, you know, draft pick from a couple of years ago, who we really haven't seen get into games much. Uh, really bright guy, really good film out of, you know, out of university that we were expecting, I, I think, especially because we were so spoiled from some of the other guys that, that were drafted, that were getting in early. We were expecting to see him a little earlier, and but he had um, a pretty significant position change that I think was was difficult and I think I think he struggled a little bit with the size and speed in the CFL versus you know what he was playing in in university and I think this will be a good time to evaluate him there's finally a moment where you can get him in I'm assuming he's going to play number one I'm interested to to see where they have him is he going to play at tackle or is he going to play a guard he he was a tackle all throughout uh, all throughout his time in university I remember I had him evaluated as a guard. That was something that uh, when I had Vince Magri on uh, the podcast a, a couple years ago now, we talked about that and he saw him as a tackle um, still at that point. And, and I, I saw him as a guard. Now I, I kind of want to see, does he have what it takes to play tackle or have they changed their mind on that? And is he now going to uh, play in that guard spot? So that's one that I'm really interested to see. Again, a, a tough position. I really like the guy I'm pulling for him. I, I hope we see something special because if he could be a a starter, if this is something they see a lot of good film from him this week and they're like, yeah, I think, you know, he's right there. That's going to open up all sorts of possibilities. If you can go is, you know, super Canadian across the line. It helps out um, in so many other spots. So that's that's my number one guy. For number two, Daniel Adebaboye as a running back. We've talked about him as a special teams player. I want to see him as a, as a running back. I want to see him carry the ball. We haven't had a chance to see too much of that. There's been a couple carries here and there late in games, but when you're trying to kill the clock, you can't really get a fair look at a running back because everyone knows you're you're running the ball. And so in those few times where he's been in there carrying, um, he just hasn't he hasn't had a lot of open space. So, yeah, I, I projected him uh, behind the draft. He was one of my favorite players in this year's draft. And I was evaluating that with him as a running back, not a special teams player. So let's let's see what the kid can do. I'm excited about that guy. The third one is Travell Harris, and I don't know if we're going to see Harris or not. The other two guys, I'm, I feel pretty confident we're going to see. Travell Harris, uh, I I really like this player. He's small in stature, uh, 5'9", maybe, 185, maybe. Uh, Washington State uh, really uh, flashed a lot in college, got a little bit of an opportunity uh, in, in the NFL with the Cleveland Browns, actually got to put some uh, pre-game work or, or sorry preseason work on film um, he's a special player I want to see him I want to see him out there returning punts I want to see him out there returning kickoffs and I want to see him out there as a receiver I want to see him in space he's so quick his change of direction is exceptional he had some problems with drops but everything else was magic for Washington State so with a bigger field more space out there uh, I'm pretty excited to see what he can do. So my eyes will be on him if uh, if he can get out there on the field. And I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So so fingers crossed. JB, obviously we're not doing our OCDC for this week because it's just, I, I don't know. I don't think either coach is even trying to strategize to, to win necessarily. You're more strategizing to get what you're looking for from specific players. So we'll move right into one thing. What is your one thing for this week? Uh, my increasingly successful one thing uh, request, um, you know, last week was another great one. Um, we were tra- should have recorded more to get a sense of how often it happens, but I feel like seventy mm, percent of them have come through. Not mine. Um, no, mine, mine never are, come through. Mine are probably yours have hit. better. Better chosen. Uh, my uh, one thing is hopefully if. Uh, if uh, Sato plays, I'd love to see him kick a field goal. Yeah, that would be nice. Didn't that would be get nice. One in, I thought he was going to get one that Edmonton game, uh, yeah. and he didn't. So, <laughs> like, let's go, damn the torpedoes. Let's let's get let's get a field goal from a man. Yeah, I would love to see that. And I, again, I don't know if if he's going to be dressing or playing, starting, what have you. No reason that he shouldn't be. I would have him out there handling both kicking and punting duties, just to again allow for more guys to be on the roster. Uh, I think that's that's what I would do. So I kind of expect Coach Dinwiddie to do that as well. I would love to see him nail a field goal. I think that'd be so big for him. He's such a wonderful team player, such a great guy as well. Uh, a guy that you 
absolutely are cheering for if you've even spent five seconds uh, with him. So, um, yeah, that's that's a, a really nice one thing. My one thing is I want to see one player that we get really excited about. And I know that's hard to quantify, but I want someone from this game. What are you, what are you laughing at? Is this your attempt to try and have one come true? <laughs> Maybe. I would like to see one player play football on Saturday. Wearing blue. Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 there's, I don't think this is an automatic. It is a bit of a softball. <laughs> I need to hit one of these. We haven't, I haven't hit a one thing in, in like six months. So... <laughs> I want to see one player after this game where we are all looking at each other saying, look at this guy. Yep. I didn't know that we were going to see this level of play from this guy. I want one guy to, to shine so much that people are talking about him as being a potential roster guy for the East final. That's what I want to see. So either side of the ball could be special teams. Maybe it's one of the guys we talked about. Maybe, maybe Travell Harris takes a punt or a kick return back for a touchdown. Something like that where we're like, hey, maybe maybe this guy needs to be out there. So that's my one thing for this week. What's your prediction, JB? How is this one going to end? Oh, God. Um, slowly <laughs> and painfully. Um, Hopefully not. Many offsides and false starts. Um, I, I'm I, Look, the Argos pulled one out. On um, me last weekend. Usually, I go them. I thought I thought that maybe Montreal would would pull one out at home, which you know they clearly almost did. Uh, I think I, I'm going to go with the Argos here. I'm not going to cheer against the Argos in this nothing game. I think think that uh, we're a deeper team than Montreal, and some of those bench guys have a real desire to to show the coaches that they could be something for next year, and uh, I think that's going to be enough to. Uh, to beat Montreal, who will be way more focused on their Hamilton game. Um, so they'll even be further from from wanting to do anything than, than Toronto. So I, I, I like Toronto. Yeah, I like Toronto to 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 win this game. And uh, oh, just do not be the Edmonton game. God, I was so angry last year. <laughs> it, it, was, it wasn't great. No, it was, yeah, it was... It was the worst football game I've, I've ever watched. So, so the bar is very low, Toronto. You know, just step I've also over got it. the I've also got the Argos winning this one. I, I I think they win it pretty easily. I think Toronto's depth is outstanding. I don't know a lot about Montreal's depth, but I just can't imagine that it's as good as Toronto's because I think Toronto has has the best depth in the league. We've seen that this year simply from all the injuries that they've had to overcome. So. I think this is um, not a not a blowout, but I think the Argos win comfortably. Uh, 17-6 is my prediction for a score. All right, JB, it's time for our world-famous fantasy advice, and you want to talk about a mess this week. Hopefully you're not in a league where the final is being held this week. Hopefully your league had enough sense to hold the final last week. And even then, you know, with, with Winnipeg doing what they've been doing the last few weeks, it's been weird. But... Yeah, here we are with a really tough fantasy ladder to come through with. So I've, I've got some fun picks. I've got $7,500 left over at the end of it because most of the high-priced guys aren't playing this week. So here's what I've got. I want you to start Chad Kelly at quarterback for $6,000. I think he's going to put up some fantasy points. He may have a couple picks, but he's going to throw touchdowns and he's going to run for a lot of yardage. And Daniel Adaboboye at running back. Let's, let's see what he can do. Great price for a starting back, even this week. 3,500. Uh, I think he's going to get a, a lot of work. Uh, Dedrick Mills, my other running back, Calgary, uh, he really impressed me when he stepped in for Kadeem Carey um, and, uh, and and Logan as well. So 4,881, that's a good price. Keen Schaefer Baker, I think, is going to play this week. I'm not positive on that, but I, I don't see why, uh, why uh, Saskatchewan wouldn't put him out there. So he's my one sort of higher price guy, 7,326. I'm hoping that we get to see Jawan Breskison this week. And I've put him in my fantasy lineup. We'll see. I know he's he's you know he's been injured. Um you know hopefully this is a situation where he could actually get back on the field. I would I want to see that so much for him. He's such a great guy. He's a guy that I love cheering for. I know he's a fan favorite in Toronto. I'm hoping that he's healthy enough to give this one a go and uh, they get him out there for this game. 3426 is a great price for him. And with all the guys that are going to be out there, he could be a, a huge target literally and metaphorically for Chad Kelly. 
flex is uh, Sean Thomas Erlington um, uh, for Hamilton, 2,853. And defense is, is going to be the Argos. I just don't think Montreal is going to score many points. I've got them scoring six points. So 4,506. I've got all the money in the world to spend on a defense. So that is our fantasy advice for this week. All right, JB, it's time to get into our CFL picks just to update the the people at home. Uh, you've put together a couple strong weeks in a row and you've actually created some space now. You are automatically finishing above 500 after some concern earlier in the year. Yeah, You're at 40, 42, and, 42 and 35 right now. Uh, so that sharp I, life. Yeah, that's not bad. Now, I, on the other hand, am 52 and 25, absolutely <sighs> blowing the sharps out of the water. Well, uh, that feels like an unsustainable mockery of of uh, of luck, which I'm sure will oh. come back to come back to earth next season. Another four and a week for me last week. Uh, let's see. Let's see where we're going this week. I'll go first. Um, I think I've got honors here. So um, first game is BC at Winnipeg. Uh, I, I'm thinking BC. They're they're starting Nathan Rourke, and the backup is going to be Vernon Adams, and they're going to do some evaluation there. Um, I just think that Winnipeg is not going to put a ton out there. They know they're they've got a good chance that they're playing BC later. They're they're not going to be showing anything at all. I think BC wins this. I also yeah I like I like BC. Um, they are uh, going to be um, you know I it, it doesn't mean anything but I think they're going to want to get um, back into the rhythm of things. So I I look for them to 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 be to, to try and capture that early season magic um, with their you know I mean this is their shot because. <laughs> I, I don't think Mr. Rourke is is returning to the CFL next year. And we have both picked Toronto in the second game. Third game is Hamilton at Ottawa. This is a triple header Saturday. That's fantastic. The Montreal Toronto, then Hamilton Ottawa, Sask Calgary. I wish these games meant something. None of them do. Crazy. But, the whole weekend uh, is just a wash. Yeah. Weird, weird, weird. But uh, who do you have Hamilton at Ottawa? Well, when Hamilton plays Ottawa, I don't think anybody can win such a game. Um, I, I think Ottawa, they don't have anything to play for other than, um, you know, trying to impress the coaches. Um, Hamilton will be desperately trying to show nothing the same way Montreal will be. I, I like Ottawa to win that. Yeah, I think this is, I think this is the lock of the week because they want nothing more than to give those fans at home in Ottawa a win. This is the last chance to do it. The fans have been so good. They've been they've been so amazing when you consider the attendance numbers compared to how the team's been performing. They've got to pull one out for their fan base. So oh I, I feel God, quite I know. confident. I, although I would really enjoy another terrible loss. <laughs> no, no, you can't do that to those people. <laughs> they they deserve better. Mm-hmm. So we're both taking Ottawa. And then the, the last one, the last game of the season is uh, Saskatchewan at Calgary. Oh, I, I've God. got Calgary in this one. I, I think, you know, you're, you're going to see Bo Levi Mitchell playing. Uh, and I think this is, this is probably, his, I, I think almost certainly his last game in Calgary. And I think they're going to want to go out with uh, a solid performance. They've got great depth on that team as well. So I think Calgary wins this. I think Saskatchewan is on fire right now. So... No, I don't know. I've never seen a team just. Well, look, it just goes to show you everybody who who is taking, you know, Toronto's eleven wins for granted is you can have a talented team and that thing can turn into a dumpster fire in a hurry. Um, they looked like they were ready to host a great cup and it was going to be Saskatchewan's greatest year of all time. Not a lot of competition for that title, but uh, looks like it's going to be yet another cold, dark winter for Saskatchewan. So you're taking Calgary after all that? (laughs) I am taking Calgary. Saskatchewan is dead to me. 
We've got a bit of a different routine coming up this weekend for the game. I, I will not be able to tweet out my usual flawed observations and questionable analysis, but I, I do have exciting news in that I will be in the radio booth doing color commentary uh, alongside Mike Hogan for TSN 1050. So uh, I'll be unable to tweet, but you can catch me uh, and all my flawed observations and questionable analysis uh, on that broadcast, on that radio broadcast. Yeah, and very, very yeah, exciting. It, I know, I know that some people will probably be concerned that with your uh, integration into mass media that you will become insufferable. But uh, I'm here to to comfort everyone. Don't worry. Ben has been insufferable for a long time and nothing should change. No, no question. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm filling in for Natea J. And, you know, I, I can't I, I can't really fill in for Natea J. He's awesome. I love what he does. But, um, you know, he's he's doing some exciting things. He's all over the place right now. And, and he's he's going to go on to do some some awesome stuff. So I'm just happy to be able to fill in uh, while yeah, he's away. Awesome. I'm really excited yeah. about it. So. And with my taking over of the in-game tweets, uh, probably a little less technical, a little more from the hip, a little more proof of why I was not asked to be on TSN radio. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. It'll be entertaining, though. So make sure you follow JB on Twitter throughout the game. That'll just about do it for us on this pregame walkthrough edition of the X's and Argos podcast. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see you.